0: Okay, welcome, Vinny.
1: Thank you for having me, man. This this is great. Uh, hey, th- thank you for uh, being
0: here. Thank you for being here. I know a lot of folks uh, are eager to hear what you have to say, having read the book, having you know maybe m- watched your movies, um, done all these things. Um, I will do a quick bio for the for the sake of the recording here. Um, Vinny Torterich uh, has been a trainer in the fitness industry for over thirty five years. He's the author of the best selling book, Fitness Confidential. He hosts a popular podcast by the same name. He owns three health-focused companies, uh, Pure Vitamin Club, Pure Coffee Club, and NSNG Foods. He's also the creator of three documentary films, Fat a Documentary, Fat a Documentary Part 2, and Beyond Impossible, which I was just re-watching last night. Um, so please help me welcome Vinny Tortorich.
1: All right. uh- <laughs> thank you. I, I feel all all of the accolades. That, <laughs> the um, a lot of love, a lot of love for you, buddy. Yeah, this is great, and and thank you for inviting me on and, and for pushing my book. Um, you know, uh, if, if you don't mind me saying, you know, when I wrote that book, um, probably twelve years ago now, because the book has been out for over ten. Um, you know, they, they there's an old saying that you should. You should dance like no one's looking. Um, And I wrote a book as if no one was going to ever read it. Um, So I do apologize for some of what's in the book. You know, in the first chapter, I'm talking about, you know, massaging women's boobs. And and had I known that the book would have (laughs) taken off the way it did, I think I would have left that whole piece out. You know, I, I would have left a lot out. And I would have probably added a lot more, which is what I ended up doing. Um, when the book became crazy popular, much to my amazement, I realized that there was really no prescription in the book. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I wrote a whole book and I didn't really tell people what to do. So I went back and wrote the PDF, <clears throat> and now we're calling it an ebook at VinnyTottery's.com. But that was the piece that I should have added to the book. Um, Luckily, I wrote that in one day. Um, I was bored. I didn't have a lot to do that day. I started off the way I always do with a fountain pen. Yes, a fountain pen, not a ballpoint pen, and um, the backs of envelopes. And I started jotting down info. And um, that became the PDF. So the, the whole thing has been this kind of, you know, house that Jack built. I don't know if people still use that phrase, but yeah, I, I guess you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's funny, because that was one of the thing notes I had, I dog-eared the page that had the prescriptive piece. I don't know if y'all can see that. But stay away from sugars, stay away from grains. <laughs>
1: <Pretty> much, <laughs> the whole book always, could have been one half of a page.
0: The entire, <clears <clears throat> entire throat> yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, so let's so let's jump back because I'm always curious, you know, as a, as an author myself and person who loves writing, um, I'm kind of curious, you, you, um, and and yeah, and the introduction is a very uh, vivid description of your life as a fitness trainer, um, as a person who doesn't even own a couch because you you bike in front of your TV and you're all over LA and and these celebrities' houses. So, how do we get from that to uh, deciding to write a book? Um, I, I <clears throat> it, it,
1: around 2000, maybe even in the late 90s. One of my clients kept saying to me that, you know, you have these incredible stories. Yeah. You know, my clients would always say to me when I would take them on long hikes and all this kind of stuff, I said, you have these incredible stories. As a matter of fact, um, a lot of times the writers, they were all writing sitcoms at the time. I would say something funny or stupid or whatever. And they would say, oh, wait, um, is that yours? Meaning, did you make that up? And if I said yes, they would go, may I use it? So a lot of what I was saying was ending up in in television. Um, And some of those people started saying to me, you should, you should be writing this down. Um, Everyone kept telling me I was wasting my life as a trainer. And I I always took umbrage with that because it was my life's work. I mean, uh, Ben Bukikio can, you know, again, you know, he could probably say the same thing. People has probably come up to him his whole life and said, you're wasting your life. It's like, how do you waste your life if you're teaching people something? You know, it's well, one client, her name was Lucy Johnson. She was the head of daytime television at CBS. She was a close friend and a client. And she kept saying to me, You need to write, you need to write, you need to write. I was like, I don't know how to write. And she signed me up for Christmas one year for a writing class. And I didn't go to it. I said, Thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not going to go to the writing class. So she ended up using that course for herself. I gave the Christmas gift back to her. And she said, I said, Listen, Lucy, and I felt bad about handing a Christmas gift back. So I said, what if I try to write something? And I write this and and then you'll realize that I can't write. And then we can just put this to bed. And I wrote something, it took me two nights or three nights to write it, I just wrote it out longhand. Lucy ended up typing it up for me. And I titled it the help. This is long before the movie The Help came out. Um, Because I felt like part of the staff, you know, for rich people in Hollywood. And that 13 or 14 page single space typed thing, I talked about one hour of one day in the life of me from the time I got to a client's house until the time I left. And that thing went around Hollywood. People started handing it around, agencies and the whole thing. Wow. And I started getting phone calls um, because Simon and Schuster got in a hold to it. Um, Harper Wave, Harper Collins got a hold to it, a bunch of different places got a hold to it. And it was right after a book came out called You'll Never Eat in This Town Again. Where this woman did a tell all, an agent did a tell all. So that was, and right after that, another book came out called The Nanny Diaries, where these nannies I were telling these rich people in New York. So these books were very popular. They were making movies about these books. And here's a fitness trainer who talked about one hour in Bel Air with a client. And boy, was it spicy. So, everyone wanted and they were offering me a ton of money to to write that. And I said, you know, as much as I hate some of these people, I can't write that book. And now think about it, this was like 1999. This is, you know, the, the World Trade Centers was still up, right? This is pre 911. And they were like, well, you need to write this, you need to write this. And I said, No, as much as I hate some of these people, I can't do this to them. This is not why they hire me. Right. So I put it to bed for years. And when Dean Laurie started in on me around 2008 or 2009, right after the big, you know, um, financial crash. I kept saying, I'm not gonna write a tell all. And he stayed on me for a long time, which was unusual. And then finally, at some point, he said, I don't want you to write a book, I want you to read a book. And he asked me to read Kitchen Confidential by um, it's his name. The guy who killed himself.
0: Anthony Bourdain. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I read that and I called Dean the next day. And I said, Oh, I think I know what you want me to write. I don't have to tell on these people. I can tell the stories and somehow mix fitness. So if I could keep people entertained and talk about the most boring subject on the planet, which is health and fitness, <laughs> maybe that can become the thing. And who would have ever thought that that would because at the time no one was using the term keto, nobody was talking about low carb. Nobody was talking about any of it. When I was writing this book, right? The last time we heard about low carb, it was called Atkins. And that had been bastardized. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I just started writing about it, you know, because I, I knew who Stephen Finney and Jeff Volek were and all that, but no one else really did. You know, so it was like, what if I could just bring this to the forefront? You know, so but that, that's, uh, uh, that's a long winded way of saying that's how it
0: started. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, I, I always find that kind of fascinating, you know, the, the people's journey to get there. And it does kind of come through the um, the connection to, to Anthony Bourdain. I mean, um, it's not a tell all about the people you've worked with, but it is something of a tell all about how how big box gyms work. For example, I love yeah. that section about you know, how they get you in the door and they, they kind of pull all the little sales tricks and tactics on you to try to get you to sign up right away and, and all these sort of things. Um, so there's a lot of those sort of insider tips and and secrets and things, which are also useful, I think. Right. Um, you know, like your, your, your tip about prepaying for a gym for the entire year so that you don't get dinged every month on the credit card without, without thinking about it. Right. Um,
1: and you know, I don't even know if you know, like, I would force them to take my money up front because it was in in the, the fine print. And you know, money is still a legal trade for both public It's written right on every dollar bill. This is for both public and private and it's backed up by the federal government. I would have to explain that at gyms. I'm not sure they would just probably tell me to take a hike nowadays. Because when I pull out cash sometimes at the grocery store, the kids look at it as if to go, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. It, it's they they look at cash as if you're some kind of mafioso. It's like, well, are you're doing some kind of illegal trade. What do you do with the hundred dollar bill? You know, so yeah, you know, some of that stuff might not even fly today.
0: Yeah. And I've, that got, I've gotten fun. that look. Yeah. And and God forbid they have to make change, you know, have to get an no abacus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) an abacus you think they know what an abacus
1: is (laughs) Um,
0: you know that that brings me to one question that I was curious about because like I say it's been a couple years now um, and you do talk about uh, the big box gyms and how they work and you mentioned sort of the smaller boutique gyms that are you know really focused on there's somewhat probably a higher quality trainer who runs it and and you're working one-on-one with them but it seems like there's been an explosion of different um, chains and types of, you know, so we've got the CrossFit and the Orange Theory, and we've got Solid Core and um, F- Floyd Mayweather's, you know, boxing gym. I'm just not naming the ones that are in walking distance of my house, right? Actually, right. Um, And so I, I'm curious about your take on some of these, some of these other models, and um, what do you think of them? Good, bad, I, or indifferent?
1: I, I, I like it because. Um, you know, people aren't moving enough, people are just sitting all day long. Now, we were never meant to sit the way we're sitting. Right. And um, yeah, I I like, you know, I don't care what flavor it is, as long as people get out and move. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it's sad that we have to pay so much money just to move, you know, because you have feet you can walk outside and you know but people need that extra motivation now they they won't you know right here you know I'm pointing to it right here in my you can see the television through the mirror on this back wall yeah right there's a television right up there there's a rowing machine i know you're a big rower uh there's a concept 2 and a schwinn spinner right there right so even though um since the book well I fell in love with a woman somewhere around 2007. And she requires furniture, go figure. So I have a house full of furniture. But my room down here, my man cave, so to speak, there's a chair, right? I can watch. But if I'm watching football or something on Sunday, most of not most of it, that's a lie, because I might watch three games, but at least one game, is either on a spinner or a rowing machine. Still, okay. You know, we, we need to move, and I tell people all the time: it's like think about what you're paying for those classes, and if you think you could be motivated to do it at home, boy, you could save a lot of money. I mean, my my spinner is pretty rusty from all the salt and sweat that's fallen on it over the past ten years, and the one before that, I rusted out to where I just had to throw it away. But that's one cost. That's one fixed cost. Mm-hmm. And it's very cost effective when you consider being able to do it at home. The other problem people have, you may not have space at home, but I used to live in in pool houses, which were basically one room. And you know, that's, that's what it's was like. I don't have room for a couch. I only have room for the whatever's right here, which was a spinner back in those days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, to that point, so we have a very, uh, we live in the city. So we have a very small house and my fitness my gym is a bag of uh, rubber bands and I do uh, Dr. Ben's um, Dr. Ben's workout twice a week with, uh, you know, just one set of rubber bands. So you can make it happen, you know?
1: Yeah, rubber band. People ask me about rubber bands all the time. And I say to him, um, rubber bands can kick your butt. You can get your you can kick your own butt with rubber bands when you do them correctly. Especially when you do them slowly and controlled, the way Ben would teach you to do them, you can get to failure. Unlike with weights, where you know the angle takes effect a lot of times, the rubber band (laughs) as you keep pulling, it it gets tighter, so you have more resistance. So I can make an argument that bands are better than, you know, weights in in several cases.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's doable. And the other quote that I love of yours is, uh, you know. Keep it somewhere that you're going to trip over it, right? If, as far as home fitness equipment, because if you tuck it away somewhere, you're never going to you never, gonna You'll
1: never it. see it again. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if folks do, I just I just changed the setting so you can unmute yourself. We got a pretty small group, so I don't think we'll have problems with a bunch of people talking at once. But if you'd like to talk to Vinny, if you have a question you want to ask, um, or if you want to just pop something in the chat, feel free. Um, just want to open it up to uh, any questions from the group. Vinny, Rich LaFace, how are you?
1: Uh, who am I talking to? It only says iPhone next to your name.
2: <laughs> really? My picture's not on there?
1: Yeah, yeah but it's, it's so tiny on my end. I, I, oh, see. I got you. Yeah, it, so I like My friend book,
0: Rich LaFace.
1: Oh, hi, yeah. Rich. It's a pleasure.
2: How are you? So, uh, Lanyap, the section in your book is, I really enjoyed that part of it. The rest of it, I sort of knew a lot of that stuff, but the story about you and your personal, well, I think you used the word demons and you're working through a lot of stuff, I thought was a really interesting lanyap. I mean, you just laid it on there like a lanyap's usually something quick, right? But you gave a long and detailed sort of story about grueling across the desert there. And I could, I've driven that and its its it's hideous, right? But I thought that was really revealing. And I really enjoyed that part of the book. So to I mean, the other stuff is mechanical, and I sort of know it and the stories were there. But the Yap was great. I thought, anyway,
1: thank you. Um, yeah. That part was almost completely left out of the book. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glad it, it, it's in there. Because, you know, two types of people read the book, um, people who <laughs> want to get healthy and lose weight. But it turns out that it's become this big deal in uh, the terminal community cancer and, and whatnot. Um, because a lot of people will hand it to some a loved one and say, Look, this guy was gonna die. And then he rode a bike across a desert. You know, so I, you know, I'm glad I, I you know, if that's helped anyone. I'm glad I I added it in. And that's one of the sections when I brought it around to book companies. They were like, nobody knows that we can't even pronounce the word lanyap, We don't know what it means. Nobody's from New Orleans. We, we, we got to take this out. Maybe we can make it a small chapter somewhere in the book. And I was like, No, nah, it's, it's gonna stay like this because you know, it's my book. So thank you for yeah. saying
2: that really enjoyable. Yep.
0: Doctor Ben, I see you're unmuted. Did you want to jump in?
2: Uh, yeah, no. I mean, you know, Vinny, uh, you know, like myself, uh, has been doing this a long time, and a, a lot of the, a lot of the questions I get asked over the last now it's 50 years, you know, doing this. They you know, how did you figure this out, or how did you? What's the the germ? How did it get started? And I think I have a similar story. I think to Vinny. I mean, we were we were jocks, okay. And we, we used weights. Back when I used weights, I had to use weights when I was in college playing football. I had to use weights in my apartment because they didn't want skilled position guys to, to lift weights. I don't know if anybody goes back that far, you know. And I was, you know, not – I hate to be, you know, the older I get, the better I was. But I was a pretty fair athlete, pretty fast, pretty strong. And, you know, they thought it was going to slow you down. And, I mean, that's how long ago I was doing this stuff, okay. Uh, and I got into it and I followed some of the bodybuilders and the weightlifters and I got to know a bunch of them. But, you know, when you talk about low carb and when it came into uh, to, to be popular, I, I, when people came to me, when I first opened my Nautilus place with six machines in a factory building, 1974. OK, almost everybody wanted to lose fat and gain muscle. I mean, you didn't have to be a, a wizard to figure that out. And if you really think about that concept, that's really what, what metabolic health is all about. I mean, I'm in the body composition wor- uh, world. I mean that's, that's, that's my job. You know, I can go into the detail about mitochondria and this and that and you know how the, the benefits of keto and beta hydroxybutyrate. Okay, that's cool. But basically, if you put on more muscle or go through the process of that putting on muscle, and you reduce body fat in almost probably 90% of the cases, you're gonna be more metabolically healthy. So what Vinny did and what I did basically say, look, who are the leanest you know, people uh, that seem to be the healthiest? And they were the people that did that exercise. I mean, you know, I'm doing a, a, a talk on anti-aging now. And you know what? You know what the number one correlative to aging is, to, to longevity? Muscle strength, not smoking, not diabetes, Muscle strength. You know what the number two correlative is? VO2 max. How much oxygen can you consume? Okay. So right there, if that doesn't tell you that you live longer and your health span is, is not going to be improved, which means by by the course of nature, you, metabolic health has to be, if you're concerned with anti-aging, you have to be concerned with metabolic health. If you're concerned with metabolic health, you have to be concerned with diet and exercise. I mean, that's as simply as I can kind of present the thing.
1: Um, to 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 jump on on what Ben is saying, um, couldn't agree more. Um, and I was uh, I was also, I'm I'm a little younger than Ben. I was also under that regimen of you can't lift weight. You know, your bench press won't make you a good football player, or squats won't make you a good football player. You're just gonna make yourself tight, and you know, and. You know, I was one of you know in the mid to late '70s, one of the first groups where we were proving that that wasn't so. Now they do combines and they want to know your bench press and your squats and everything else, and and that just wasn't around then. But one of the the germs, when you mentioned the germs, Ben, that that I figured out early on because I was in the gyms from the time I was eight years old, and and I would watch these bodybuilders um, get ready for competition. And I didn't understand anything. When I was a kid, I was just watching, you know, I was just observing. And they all had this thing of you need to eat a lot of carbohydrates, because it gives you the energy to work out really hard. And of course, they all walked around with big guts on. And then right before competition time, they would, they would shred themselves by eating, you know, very low fat and very high protein. So it was basically autophagy taking over and, and everything else. And the thing that got me was these guys and women, mostly guys back then, only look good on one day. And even when I got to LA and I was at Gold's Gym and, and down on Muscle Beach, they all looked good for one day. As a matter of fact, if Ben can probably attest to this, two or three days after the competition, you could not recognize the person that was in the competition as being that person. They would just blow it up that fast. And that's when I started my because at some point I started modeling against my my own will. And it was like, Well, I can't look good one day I have to look like this all the time, because they weren't hiring me for my face. They were hiring me for my abs. And the one thing I learned was you can look like that all the time. And the reason a bodybuilders felt like crap was not just because they had cut out all of the carbohydrates but they were also not getting enough water. They were trying to dehydrate themselves so that they can look shrink wrapped. And I realized, wait, I could just keep drinking water. Right? I could just keep taking electrolytes. And you'll keep losing weight. And then I noticed that Oh, as long as I did that, and I would start mixing in things like eggs with the yolks and red meat, and all this other stuff they were telling us in the late 80s, early 90s was bad for your health. It's like, Wait, it's working this 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 Atkins thing seems to work. Right? That that was the first clues. And that's when I started using it with my clients. And I started getting success as, as soon as I got to Hollywood I was doing this. And I started getting success with these with the playmates over at Playboy. Um, that was the first quasi celebrities out were hiring me at the time. And um, it's like, Wait, this is working for me. It works for them. It works for everyone this is my dirty little secret, that you can live like a bodybuilder all the time, you just need to drink water. And, and then I started figuring out, oh, you can inch it up, you can have more fat, and it, it doesn't seem to hurt anything. Yeah, there's no bloating from, but it was all just trial and error that came out of the whole bodybuilding world. You know? Yeah, yeah.
0: So it didn't start with the theory or the the because I know you have some some um, medical background from your undergrad, right? But but it really, yeah, yeah, there, it was in some, there
1: was some of that there was some of that in there in the back of my head, because a professor, and that's when I started using fat. Um, more than one professor, when I was in uh, biology and kinesiology, and everything, they would talk about, you know, macronutrients, and they would say your, your body's preferred fuel is fat. And so that just that was always ringing in the back of my head. And then, you know, I knew a few people in New Orleans, they, they used to call the Atkins diet. I don't know if you remember this, they called it the drinking man's diet. So if, if you were a drinker, you can, you can do Atkins and still lose the, the pot belly or whatever. And so th- there was some of that that was going on. You know, that that was always lurking in the back of my head, that fat was actually good for you. I, I had enough of that pounded in to play around with it. And I saw a program at one point, you know, everything just kind of happens by happenstance, right? I saw a program where they were talking about longevity, these people who want to lift to a hundred and whatever years old. And they showed this one guy and he was eating nothing but bacon and, you know, bacon fat and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he was getting rid of the egg whites and only eating the, the egg yolks. And there was a bunch of that that just started. I'm I'm looking at this going, okay, Atkins. And, you know, I'd read a lot about what was going on back in the early 1920s with, you know, um, uh, seizures and, and and this ketogenic diet that was, you know, so there was a lot that was playing into it. Right. Yeah. So that's, I, I lost the fear of fat, if, if that matters, if, if that makes any
0: sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, if, if
2: you see a bunch of I mean, I hung around athletes. I mean, I still do. I mean, I just that's where I tend to drift. Okay. But if you see these guys, uh, Vinny, you remember uh, Serge Noubray?
1: Yeah, uh, he had okay. biceps bigger than his head. He died I mean, recently. No, he you're was,
2: talking about Sergio Oliva.
1: Oliva. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, no, but, yeah I, know, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Oliva had the, the bigger Nubre, biceps. Noubray no. was
2: the French guy black guy. He's been phenomenal physique. And I met him at one of the Mr. Olympias. He just talked to a nice guy. What do you eat? The guy ate like two pounds, two and a half pounds of meat. That's what he ate. And I'm yeah. saying this guy was cut and full and muscular and he was a handsome dude, you know. Uh, and, and I saw all these guys and I said, they're healthy. I had friends who were cardiologists. We tested these guys. We Their cardiac risk factors were like nothing, you know. Uh, I said, well, this, this doesn't make... And and personally, I my experience was you know, I was in pretty good shape. I had, other than cholesterol, which is you know we know now the science as to why your LDLs go up when you eat a low carb diet, blah blah blah. But everything else was perfect. I'd go into a doctor's office for an insurance physical, take off my shirt, and he goes, "There's nothing wrong with you." And this guy went to school for 22 years to tell me when I took off my shirt that I was healthy, right? But in any case, um, so you get this kind of a common sense, you know, street kid saying, that, "Well, what they're saying is basically bullshit," because. I know a thousand people that don't go by that model and are, you know, doing fine and they're healthy. So something else has got to be in the equation that's screwing this up. It's not the meat, it's not the fat, you know. And so you know, you you're the same kind of thinker that I am. You're saying, you know, if, if I can call bullshit on it and I and I really look into it, then there's there's gotta be another answer, right?
1: Well, yeah, and the, maybe we could bring uh Dr. Newport into this, but I think sometimes doctors are are handcuffed by, you know, the medical community where they're not allowed to, you know, there was this kid. um, my, My stepdaughter was dating this kid before the current boyfriend who was a third year medical student. And he was basically telling me I was killing people, but he was smart enough to go and start doing a little research. And he came, you know, they I ran into him somewhere in town a year after they broke up. And he was like, I've changed my mind on everything. You know, I'm I'm sorry that I was I was so brazen about it. But wow, it, it's all right there. And I just he goes, they're not teaching it. They weren't teaching it at UVA. Mary, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, medical school, I had three hours of nutrition one afternoon, that was it in four years, you know, uh, they, they really, and even now they're still not teaching nutrition and, you know, uh, that, uh, diet can cause disease and diet can, can, can help overcome disease. Um, and, um, that, yeah. And doctors are very protocol driven. Uh, Medicare expects you to do this step, this step, this step, this step. And, um, uh, for example, I thought it would be really cool, you know, because I am uh, very interested in, well, you know, Alzheimer's, diabetes of the brain and diet, you know, diabetes itself is a big risk factor for developing dementia and Alzheimer's and, you know, wanting to help people who have insulin resistance and diabetes and prediabetes with a low carb diet. And I was looking into doing, um, mostly because of COVID and, um, doing, um, telehealth, um, with, and there was a group I was looking at and they said, well, the only problem is you can't really, uh, you have to go with this protocol. That's a higher carb diet, not a low carb diet. And I said, uh, forget about it. I'm not going to uh, get involved in that because, you know, I don't believe that anymore. And, you know, I, I really did, um, you know, my medical school t- training, what they did talk about was eating a low fat diet. I mean, that was already, um, there, starting around uh, the early 1960s, it kind of became official dogma around 1981. But you know, we were really taught, um, you know, uh, that low carb uh, diet was not good; <laughs> it was not healthy, um, and really that low fat is what we should be aiming for. And I adopted that myself, you know, as my eating pattern. And, and then what 1992? They come out with the food pyramid. I think you mentioned it in your book. You know, it had, I think, six to 11 servings of grains on the bottom of the pyramid. It was
1: 11 on the bottom.
3: At the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And at the top, oil was like a tiny added sugar and oil was like a tiny point at the top of the pyramid. And, and you know, but I believed it. It, Well, I mean, who, who was I to you know, argue with them, I didn't have any new, you know, nutrition education in medical school, I just kind of told and, and I ate that way myself. And it got me into trouble. You know, I, I gained, but Mary, a lot.
1: you know, I, you know, it's funny, because my grandparents and great grandparents had zero education.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They, they were immigrants from Italy, and um, mm-hmm. some of them barely spoke the language, but they all knew that if you ate too much bread and pasta, you got fat.
3: <laughs> Right. Yeah, know,
1: yeah. Uh, it doesn't take yeah. you, know, you don't need to look at a freaking pyramid to, to yeah. do that math, you know. And, yeah. you know, it's almost like we know that these old immigrants know this. Yeah. Yet somehow mm-hmm. they, they the government went, Hey, here's a pyramid. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually if you take the 11 on the bottom, and then I think it becomes like, Twenty something servings per day.
3: I can't remember. It was I a huge number meal. of, and it was all grain and cereal. I mean, they, what they showed. So
1: how did my grandmother, who had a yeah. fifth grade education, mm-hmm. know this information? Right. And my great grandmother, who yeah. you know didn't speak uh, very well English, I do How did they have this information? Yeah, yeah,
3: well, yeah. That's how they ate. That that is just how they ate, and. And I I really feel like the American Heart Association turned everything upside down, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, because even, you know, when I was a kid, I always I would have like a five or 10 pound problem, you know, when I was in my teens and my pediatrician, what he would tell me, he said, cut out the sweets and the starchy foods he was telling me to eat a low carb diet and it worked. Yeah. I mean, whenever I followed his advice, you know, every summer I was on a swim team diving team and I would lose 10 or 15 pounds. And then I would gain it back in the winter when, you know, when it was cold and I didn't have access to our swim club. And, but he would tell me, you know, cut out the sweets and starchy foods. And there was a, a Dr. Pennington um, in the 1950s and he, he's really pre Atkins Atkins based his diet on Pennington's diet. And, And he was also, um, you know, uh, low carb um, and eating more healthy fat. And, you know, so, but then, you know, the American Heart Association comes along and I kind of bought that myself, hook, line and sinker. And then, you know, well, we'll talk about more about my book the next time. But, you know, uh, the thing was coconut oil and my husband who had Alzheimer's that it helped him. And, and I'm like, oh my God, this is fat. And, And, you know, we were told coconut oil was an artery clogging fat in medical school and I, it it just, it was a little bit of a struggle at first, but then, you know, as I read more and more, um, you know, I came to realize that fat isn't bad, (laughs) that eating low fat is not healthy, that, you know, that's what we were missing. And that's why so many Americans have gotten obese and diabetes and dementia, you know, it's just uh, been escalating over the last 50 years
0: and your and the story as you tell it in your book is is so incredible um uh, mm-hmm. dr Marion. um i'll put in a plug for vinny's podcast yes. um you were on a on that just a couple of weeks ago right yeah so yeah a yeah. little preview of the book you can check out that podcast episode yeah. i can send it out in my um my next post on the substack yeah um, and i wanted and to I, say I um
3: vinny's posted. book was so entertaining i well i i cheated and i listened to the audible book which is <laughs> I do. I enjoy it so much because, you know, he narrates the book. And it was just, um, it, it was so entertaining. You know, I really couldn't stop listening. I, you know, listened to it all in one day, basically.
1: Thanks, yeah. Mary. Um, you know, pe- people always say to me, how did you have the forethought to narrate it? Because at the time, no one narrated their own books 10, 12 years ago. And I said, Oh, it wasn't forethought. I was just too cheap to hire someone to go it. <laughs> so that that was a forethought. And um yeah, and I even I started riffing, you know, and and who knew that nobody was doing that back in the day. Right. Just riffing in between chapters and going, oh, this reminds me of this, that, and the other thing. And it kind of became another podcast.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the bonus yeah. content. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine uh mine had, had a question, I think. Um if I can jump. There. Yeah. Hey, Vinny. Uh, thanks for coming on. I, I've not
2: read your book. I look forward to reading the book or listening to the podcast. And just looking for some practical advice. I, I just turned sixty-four. I'm about two twenty. I think I should probably be one ninety-five or so. Um, how, how how do you motivate? How did you motivate, or do you motivate your clients to get going, get started? What practical tips generally would you have for someone like myself? who knows I need to get down to that point, but need to need to get set up of that mission and do it. That little direction.
1: I'm a big fan of ripping the bandaid off. Um, because diet, unlike a lot of things, you know, you, you can't get a little bit pregnant with this. Right? So you know, it that I, I do these consults every day. And uh, I see Robin here and, and a few other people who maybe have had consults with me. And I always tell this story. It, you know, let's say you and your wife were at the age where you wanted to get pregnant, your wife wanted to get pregnant. And let's say you're, you're, you're in your late 20s, early 30s. She's, you know, she's producing an egg every month. And, you know, the doctors checking her and and he's perplexed as to why she's not getting pregnant. So he starts asking questions. And he goes, Okay, wait, you, you know, you, you're fertile, you have an egg every month. We've checked your husband's sperm, he's got a lot of swimmers. So that can't be the problem. How long have you been off of your birth control? She's like, "Oh, I've been off for six months. And are you guys having a lot of intercourse right when you're ovulating? Oh, God, Doc, we're, we're, we're banging like rabbits and the whole thing. And the doctor just becomes more and more perplexed. He can't understand why this woman is not becoming pregnant. Right. And then the guy jumps in and goes, Hey, Doc, you think it would help if I took my condom off? <laughs> you see, it's one of those things where when people go, then I'm not losing weight, I've lowered my sugar. I, I'm not eating as much. I'm still having some bread, but I'm having Ezekiel bread, like, like, that's some kind of special bread, your liver goes, Oh, it's Ezekiel bread, you know, it, it, people will say, I've lowered this, I've stopped doing that. And when you lower things, you might see an adjustment, right, you might get you might lose some some inflammation, and you you lose some immediate water weight, right. But unless you rip that band-aid off and just go, I'm, you know, My wife is going off of birth control. She's ovulating, we're having sex and I'm taking the condom off. We're doing all of it. If you don't do all of it. You're never going to get pregnant. Right? You, You can't do four out of five things. So and you might go man, that's pretty harsh. What do you mean cold turkey? I mean, you can start right now tonight. Right? Just no more ice cream. No more chocolate. No more. I'm watching my favorite, you know, version of whatever's on television. I'm, you know, binge watching, you know, Yellowstone or whatever people are binge watching now. You know, if you just say this is it, right? You won't just see that water weight leaving. You'll start seeing weight dropping, and not only that, you're going to see your triglycerides. Drop into a range most doctors don't think you can get into without medication. You're gonna you're gonna see your your A1Cs. You know, most if you look at the commercials, they'll say if you're on metformin, Ozempic, and three other drugs, you might get down to a seven, right? A one C, which is still perfectly sick. So you're taking three drugs to say stay perfectly sick. Guess what? I and we as a community have a method. That will take you out of type 2 diabetes with no medication. And it'll get you down below a five, 5.6 is pre-diabetic or diabetic. You'll be 4.9, 4.8. No drugs. Not one drug on television will offer you that option. They the drugs they tell you in the commercial, take this drug and you can stay perfectly sick. <laughs> That's what they're telling you. So you can change that right now tonight by just ripping that bandaid off. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Jump right in. But, but I think, you know, too, Vinny, he said, you know, how do I get started? You've already started because you're thinking about it and you're trying to make a plan. So that's what what Vinny's saying is that you've got the impetus. You've got, you know, you've got the energy to start doing this. You've got the interest. And what he's saying is, if you're going to, you know, I'm going to take this medicine, but I'm only going to take a third of what's in the capsule. Well, you know what? The reason they did the research and spent $82 billion to figure out a drug is to say that a third of the capsule is not going to work. You have to get to a threshold level, a level of which your body is going to respond, you know, upwardly consistently. That's really what we're talking about. Okay. It doesn't mean, you know, six months from now, your daughter gets married, you can't have a piece of birthday cake, whatever. Okay. But, but, There is a certain threshold which each one of our bodies is going to say store fat or burn fat. And for most of us, it means significantly cutting out from what we are used to, which is, you know, people don't say we say low carb diets. I say a normal carb diet because the shit that we're eating is such a high carb diet. And relative to that, almost anything is better. But it's really I think it's a I call it controlled carbs. So, you know, enough carbs so that your body can. Do go through the chemistry that it needs to be healthy, but not enough so that we have an energy toxicity where we can't store this stuff in a good place. Once, once our storage places for glycogen and fat become overwhelmed, inflamed, spread out to other parts of the body where they're not supposed to be, we're screwed. How do you change it? You don't, you don't oversupply fuel, you reduce the fuel, and the fuel that's most likely the lowest hanging fruit is carbohydrate. I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. And it's pretty simple, reinforceable chemistry. Am I wrong?
1: And by the way, uh, I hate I I sound like Dr. Phil when I say stuff like this. (laughs) But if you can perceive and conceive, you can achieve. Right? Yeah, you know, just that's what athletes do. You know, you you put it in your head, you know, you get a mental picture. What do I want to look like? What do I want? Where do I want to be on January first, which is about a month from now? You know, most people start on January first. You could get a whole month head start right now, right? Just a perception, the conception, and you can achieve, right? It's it's really that simple. And um, that you know, people always you look around, right? Um, uh, Tom Brady, right? The greatest of all time. He he's slow. <laughs> if you looked at his combine numbers, the guy shouldn't have ever played high school football, much less college or pro, right? Yet he's the greatest of all time because he, his, he he can perceive what he wants to do, and then he he achieves it, right? You just have to get that mental picture of what you want, and then do it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I just jump in with one other tip? Um oh. and this is going to sound like it goes against what you're saying, but I think it kind of actually works with. Um because when I when I started I was on smoothies, yogurt, oatmeal, everything exact opposite, low fat whole thing and it wasn't working. Um and so I said, okay, week 1, I'm going to get I'm going to get breakfast in line. So, I'm going to boil, hard boil a dozen eggs on Sunday and then each morning I'm bringing two of them to work. That's my breakfast. So that's all I worried about. And then week two, I figured out what I was going to do uh, for dinner, you know, and then week three, I figured out that I could just, you know, make some, make some salmon and, and vegetables for dinner the night before, and then throw that piece of salmon on the leftover salmon on top of a salad for the next day for lunch, a little olive oil. I've got lunch salt. So it, it can be, you know, it, it can be complicated when you get into the internet keto and all the little, you know, uh, cloud bread recipes and all the things like that, but it's it can be as simple as you make it, you know, cutting out yep. sugars, cutting out grains, you know. It, it it's couldn't be simpler than that. Yeah, yeah. I wanna, I wanna get to Paui, cause she's got her hand up over there. Um, Paui, would you like to unmute? Or... Hi,
4: I, uh... hey. hi. Hi Vinnie, I have a How question what's safe? like how do you know what your numbers are like i i actually track macros but as i adjust like i gain and lose weight how do i know what the safe number is and what i should be aiming for for like protein like how many grams of protein how many grams of fat like i know fat i shouldn't go off under 40 so i never do but then like even carbs like how, how much carbs do i have just so I can ballpark because it's really hard just figuring out how to get to that safe number.
1: There is no safe number I, I I'm you probably don't know much about me, but I hate when people count counting is, is diet mentality and diet mentality never works. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, no, nobody uh, from the Paleolithic area era ever counted. They didn't even know what macros were right? Um, You know, I've I've been in this the weight loss game for 40 years. And the one thing I know is people drive themselves crazy trying to figure out macros and counting and everything else. Um, If you just as I say, if you just make it high fat, moderate protein, and try to keep your carbs to zero, you're going to end up with, you know, somewhere between 30 and 60 grams of carbs per day. And that's just fine. Right? You, you'll be fine with that. Um, but you shouldn't try to crazily try to track. I mean, that's, that, that's hard to do. It's almost impossible to do. And when you start using words like safe, you know, that that's, that's not where you want to be. That That's not the life I want to live. You want to live that life counting macros, and and using words like safe when it comes to food. Think about mm. that. I want okay. to think about that. Not think about what the macros should be. You know, um, you know. Ben was saying, you know, low hanging fruit. Get rid of sugar. Get rid of yeah. You know, I, I, I agree hundred percent. But if you're not losing weight, you need to start reassessing. Well, how much fruit, how much sugar am I having per day? How much am I really doing what I'm supposed to do? Because whenever people start calling me for consults. And they they will start by telling me, I'm doing everything right. I lost 70 pounds, I'm still doing everything exactly right. And I stopped losing weight. And when I, I sit on the phone with them for half an hour, 45 minutes, it all starts coming out. Right? The truth starts coming out. You have to be honest with yourself. Am I making any sense here?
4: How do I know if I'm eating enough? Do I just go by I'm
1: full? Yeah. You, you, when you're full, you stop.
3: Okay. When,
1: when you feel sated, you stop. It, I, I know this sounds like I'm being, I always feel like I'm being condescending when I say this because you inherently know this stuff. I'm not being condescending. You eat, you feel sated, you stop. You might still have food on your plate. It doesn't mean you have to finish. You can scrape it together, put it in the fridge, have it later. Right. We have modern refrigeration. We do not have to eat everything in front of us. We have freezers. We have microwaves we can reheat. Right. Don't yeah. feel like you have to eat a certain amount just because you're on some kind of crazy, I'm going to have these many macros. And yeah, you know, don't do it. You've eaten enough. Stop.
4: Right.
0: Yeah. And I want to say thank you to Robin for putting the, the link to the, um, the ebook in there. And that's, uh, you know, just such a great bargain. Um, it's like what a couple of bucks online, which really gives, um, some info because, you know, the, the point I wanted to get to, I think you mentioned that in the ebook is that, uh, the hormones that regulate appetite and a lot of people are out of whack because of our high carb, high sugar lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Um, And we're eating unnatural junk food. Right. Um, and when you start eating this way, the hormones start to, to, balance, you know, find balance and, and, um, you know, it starts to take care of itself, the appetite starts to take, take care of itself, you know, you can actually trust that when you're hungry, you actually need food, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah, you know, and what he's talking about, I am I saying your name, right, Polly? Yes, Polly.
4: Yeah. Um, yes.
1: You know, we don't get fat based on calories as much as as hormones, right? And if, if you got those switches in the wrong direction, if you're eating the wrong foods, you're going to feel hungry, because your body's going to become resistant to leptin and ghrelin and, and everything else. And while that's happening, you're, you're going to keep releasing insulin, which is going to turn most of those sugar calories into long chain triglycerides and store them as fats. So as long as you stay away from that stuff, you can keep the hormones working for you, as opposed to against you. Does does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, whoever put up the—I uh, can't see the chat—but whoever put up the the PDF in the chat, go check that out. Um, it's me nickel and diming people, but it's it's ten dollars. <laughs> go go get it, and um, that that has changed more people's lives. I think uh, Robin's husband Matt used it, right? Robin, is that correct? Um, A lot of it. I couldn't
4: unmute. Yes, we've we've read it several times and shared it several times with others. Um, That ebook has everything laid out for you for how to eat NSNG, and it's really very simple. Don't eat sugars. Don't eat grains, and then the little caveat of or seed oils. So,
1: seed oils are awfully inflammatory. So, we don't want to eat those either.
4: Can I make a comment? Sure. Jim,
0: yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, the great thank Jim you. Abrams is here, folks.
4: Well, hey, Jim. Um, it, this is wonderful. And I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and I'm a big fan of most of the people on your panel. I just wanted to point out that there is a difference between eating a a ketogenically balanced diet for weight loss as opposed to a severe medical condition. And and so there's a little bit of a course correction, but if you're on the diet for a severe medical condition, if you have a brain tumor, if you're experiencing severe epilepsy, stuff like that, it is important to count. Yeah. It is important to work. With a trained dietitian who can help you calculate exactly what you should be counting, and so in in the modern era with the with the diet, those two applications have gotten a little confused because it's gone from this just medical applications to I want to lose you know twenty pounds by my next you know. 15 years or 10 whatever
3: mm-hmm. and
4: so i think it's really important for us to keep that to distinguish between using the diet for weight loss in which case you know if you miss a day <clears throat> okay you missed a day if you're using it for severe epilepsy and you miss a day you can die yeah so it's important to count by yeah. the way,
1: folks, uh, you guys can see uh, Jim uh, at the beginning of my first movie, Fat a Documentary. It opens with him and a picture of his cute son, Charlie. Um, let me give him a plug: CharlieFoundation.org. Um, you can go check it out. And Beth Zupicania uh, is the dietitian there. If anyone has anyone who has any sort of problem, you know, brain tumors or epilepsy or any of the stuff that the ketogenic diet can help, the first stop. The very first stop is uh, Charlie Foundation. You're going to get more information on that site. I send people to that site daily. Um, uh, That's a lie, but weekly I send people to that site. And by the way, um, um, Jim is also uh, one of my favorite uh, comedic uh, writers. uh, Wrote some of the funniest movies of all time uh, for my generation, at least. I don't know if kids today even know about Airplane Mm. and and all those great movies, but. uh, Thank you. Thank you for all of it, Jim.
4: Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Jim, for for bringing that up and for um, really being my uh, transition, because, again, as I tell in my book, right, I, I found about NSNG and and got into it and began to enjoy it, whatever. Um, and then your appearance on Vinny's podcast is what made me say, sit up yeah. and say, wait a minute, I have epilepsy. Maybe I should be looking into this thing. Um, and so that was re- really what started the whole journey. I mean, my book would not exist with you two guys without you two guys right here, mm-hmm. and um, can't thank you either of you enough. You know, um, and how much you've you've changed my life. So,
4: wow.
1: One man came from the Midwest. One came from the swamps of
0: Louisiana. But
4: somehow,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know we're over time. Are there any other? Uh... Quick questions before uh, before we let. let I Ian did Elbert... miss the
4: I missed the first few minutes of this podcast, it, but I did hear the part where everybody was struggling to figure out where that food pyramid came from. Mm, yes, and I, I don't know whether you got into Ansel Keys or not, but that's he had a lot to do with the predicament that we're still in today.
1: Yeah, Doctor Bocchicchio mentioned 1960, or maybe uh, Doctor Newport mentioned 1960. And I think when we hear 1960, we automatically go right to Ansel Keys. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. yeah. What a disaster!
4: What a disaster!
0: Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite reads on that whole on that whole disaster is is uh, Nina Teicholz, you know, Big Fat Surprise, and just the history of the demoniz- demonization of fats. And it reads like you know, it reads like a murder novel, you or
1: should maybe. do her book when, You know, after you do Mary Newport's mm-hmm. book, you should do Nina. Mm-hmm. She i, I mean, people always say what's the first book I should read? And it's like, ah, probably Gary Taubes, second book on the subject and Nina Teichel's, um only book on the subject. Th- those are my two favorite that I, I don't even send people to my own book, I send them to those two books because they're more convincing than my book, way more convincing.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, great books. So that's exactly the order that I'd read them in too. And um, so yeah, we'll put that on the on the schedule. And she's great. I interviewed her for the for my book as well. She's just a really warm giving person and yeah. and wonderful. Um Benny, any parting words for us before we uh, before we break up the party here?
1: Um yeah, look, all of this is just as easy and just as tough as you want to make it. Um you know, your desire to be healthy and live a long life has to be stronger than you know eating junk. Um, because people always say to me, "Diet cokes, I can't give up my diet cokes," and oh, I can't give up. Oh, but I love beer. Do you love it more than living? Because it's going to be a pretty short and kind of crappy life, right to to the end, unless you do things right. And you know, it, it, it it's up to you. No, no medical. The government's not going to help us. You know, medicine's not going to help us. You got to do it for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself.
0: So true. Thank you. The perfect uh, words to end on here. Um, Well, thank you everybody for coming out. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm just blown away by by. All these awesome people who showed up and um I look forward to doing doing some more of it next next month. So um once again, quick plug, clearly keto, Dr. Mary Newport, thank read it, you. come back next month and we'll have more uh awesome conversations like this one.
1: Thank thank you guys for, for putting up with me. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> they will. Yeah, nice to see all of
1: you. Thanks everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye guys.